0: Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 to 33 is what we're focusing on this morning. And thanks to Pastor Jeff for already reading that for us. We'll look at it in detail. Whereas a church where we value going through the Word of God and teaching through the Word of God as the word is expositionally, that is taking the text and, and teaching the text, helping us to understand and apply God's word to our lives. And we do that in really a family environment, if you will. And that was evident through the, the, the videos as well as, as well as just the, just the, the joy of being together and, and encouraging one another. We want to do that in such a way that we're building one another up in the body and helping one another to see God's gifts among us. The Spirit working among us and sharing His love together, because we believe that as we do that, we are the body of Christ, and we are that body of Christ to the world. and And so, we want to be that together. We do that in a a couple of different ways. We do that through our worship services on Sunday. We do that through our community groups, which are happening uh, right after the morning service for the first month here, as well as through core groups and different ways of just getting ourselves into the word and applying it together, encouraging one another in Christ. And, uh, and we're excited about uh, both men's and women's events coming up as well as the youth the thing. This is kind of our promotion Sunday for for our youth as well as they move up in the grades. And uh, this morning, uh, I'm, I'm entering into something, I, I'm entering with, with a little trepidation in the sense that marriage is a, is a, is a topic that either you're, uh, at the moment, you're loving or hating a lot of times. Uh, it's also something that in our culture is something that uh, is uh, much debated as to its purpose and its meaning and its value and I do that also recognizing that not everyone in our in our congregation or in the world is married or should be married in that sense that we are we have a a purpose beyond marriage marriage is not the end-all and be-all of human existence the end-all and be-all of human existence is to know God and enjoy him forever and yet marriage is a picture of many of those aspects. And as we get into Ephesians chapter 5, uh, maybe to catch you up on where we've been and throughout this year, looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and the blessings we have in Christ, that uh, we, are, we are chosen, we're redeemed, we're adopted into God's family, we're, we're given knowledge of the purpose of history in Christ, where we're allowed to know that we're part, we're, we belong to God, we're, we're His possession. These are the real spiritual blessings, the eternal spiritual blessings that that anchor us to God, that allow us to know God and know His grace in our lives, and we experience that. Paul says, especially through the the, the church, through this body that that. God is bringing together from every tribe and tongue and nation brought together that they might know know him and be a dwelling place for God in the spirit, as he says. So Jews and Gentiles coming together in a beautiful picture of redemption in Christ. And and Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3 that we would know that love, know the love of Christ, that we would know its height and breadth and depth and length that we would know that love, that we would be filled up with all the fullness of God, know, know the purposes that God has for us, and, and live out those purposes out of the love that he has for us. In Ephesians chapter 4, he focuses on the grace that we have received and how we pass that grace on to one another as we speak the truth in love to one another. And you would think after talking about walking in love, and walking in light, and walking in wisdom, that he would return to his theme of the church. You would think that he would return to that theme and be like, okay, now that you know how the church is supposed to operate, here are the ways that you do that, Jews to Gentiles. Like, if that's the big issue that we need to cover, that we need to unite Jews and Gentiles together, together, you'd think that he would return to that. And yet, again, It shows that Paul understands a little of the the challenge of marriage as well as the purpose of marriage. I, I thought about this for a while in the sense that a lot of what's happening here is the fact that we are living out God's story. And we're living out this story. To live out that story with others, with Jews and Gentiles together, takes work. But one of the, the things that harms us, that keeps us from doing that, is, is shame in our lives. The shame of, well, I'm not what I'm supposed to be. The shame of, well, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to live out this story. And Paul here, in some ways, is saying, by switching to marriage and then family and then work, is saying, look, you can't speak of the story well if you don't have the story in your heart and in your life in a very deep way. You want to get to know Jews and Gentiles, people from every tribe and tongue and nation? You're going to to have a hard time doing that if you don't understand how the gospel applies to my family, to my most intimate relationships, first and foremost. But we're also going to see as we look into marriage this morning is that to really be a cross-cultural church, to really live that out, the best place you live it out is in your marriage. Because if it's not cross-cultural marriage, I'm not sure what else is. And so... Paul here is saying that we can have joy and peace and love in our most intimate of relationships and not shame and disgrace. Because we do walk in the Spirit, and this does take wisdom. He's he's coming out of walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and he ends by saying, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. And then he gets into these relationships because if we don't understand how to submit to one another, we again walk in shame and don't walk in love, and we don't show off the glory of God. And I want to get into what that looks like because we have a lot of pre- preconceived ideas as to what is happening in marriage, especially in our relationships. Before a wedding, a young bride got more and more nervous about the wedding ceremony, so she went to see the minister. He reassured her by pointing out that the ceremony was quite simple, really. You enter the church and walk up the aisle. The groom will be waiting for you at the altar. Everyone will then sing a hymn to start the ceremony, said the minister. Just remember the order and everything will be fine. So on their wedding day, the bride remembered the order and arrived alongside the groom, muttering to herself, I'll altar hymn, I'll alter him. Or as the groom thought he heard, I'll alter him, right? Because sometimes we come into marriage thinking, especially the wife comes in thinking, he's great, but I can be better. And and the groom comes in thinking, she's great and everything will be perfect now. There's nothing that needs to change. And neither are true. Another good point of advice, even for older married couples is, Every time you talk to your wife, your mind should remember that. This conversation will be recorded for training and quality purposes. <laughs> my, my goal this morning is to, is to look at a couple of things, and then next week to look at a few more. To answer a few questions, if you will, of the text. First of all, what is the goal of marriage? Why should you deny yourself in the midst of marriage Where is joy found in marriage? When is submission a good thing and when is it a bad thing? And how do I deal with abuses in the midst of marriage? Because we live in a culture that a lot of times sends the message, I don't really need marriage, right? Maybe you've heard someone say, I don't need a piece of paper to do this, whether it's just be romantically involved or living together or whatever else you might think. They don't think that the... The ceremony or the piece of paper or the recognition is that important and of course as Christians we would say the piece of paper in a sense doesn't matter but in a sense it does because what God is what we are doing in marriage is not just something that we are doing together alone it's something we are doing in society in the body as a whole And as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, we want to see that that this is more than just two people getting together. This is us ultimately reflecting the glory of God. And that's what I want to get to in point number one, if I turn my controller on here, is reflecting God's glory together. Reflecting God's glory together. I debated do I start with wives, do I start with husbands? And yet at the same time, it ends with both, right? He talks, he goes all the way back to the creation story, right? If you, if you jump to verse 31, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it, it refers to Christ and the church. However, t- let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here we see Paul pulling it together in a sense, but by pulling it together, he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. So for us to to understand the purpose of marriage, the goal of marriage, I think we have to do that as well. We need to go back to the beginning and remind ourselves of what marriage is. Because we're not just interested in defining what marriage is, we're interested in defining what marriage is according to God. What is Christian marriage? Other people might define marriage differently and do different things but we as believers in Christ need to understand what Christian marriage what God has designed marriage to be and be able to live that out because Paul is saying here that living that out actually helps people to see the goodness and grace, greatness of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done in redeeming us out of sin and death so let's go back to genesis chapter 1 you can turn there if you want or i'll have it up here on the screen genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says then let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here we see of a poetic form, God's intentions as to the creation of man. And he says that we are made in the image of God. And he specifically here, God specifically states that male and female are both in that image. They're equally part of being made into the image of God. And and therefore, that that idea of image is the idea that we reflect something to the world. It's that idea of of, of something that is set up to be seen. And so I I use the the verb here in the point reflecting God's image together because although we don't need each other to reflect God's image, we are God's image alone in a sense. But marriage in that sense, as Paul is arguing here, is a part of reflecting that image. It's a way of reflecting that image In Genesis chapter 1 here, he's saying that it involves the two of them coming together and ultimately having children and ruling the earth. We get more clarity as we look to Genesis chapter 2. God creates a garden in Genesis chapter 2, and he puts Adam in it, and then he says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the garden, the the Lord, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is, alas, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they should become one flesh. And the na- man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. But to back up here again and to see that the point God is making here at the end is he's bringing bringing Adam to see, look, it's not good that you're alone. I will make make you a helper fit for him. So one of the ways that we reflect God's glory in that sense is that we're not alone, but we're together is the point here. God, God in himself is not alone. It's not just one person in the, God, in the, in the Godhead. There are actually three people we call the Trinity, right? That it, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these three have coexisted eternally together. They delight in each other. They're not at odds with one another. And there is a sense in which God, in, in, in us reflecting the glory of God, we do that through the, the, the sense of companionship and friendship that happens. God says here that He would make the woman a, f- a helper fit for him. Right? The word "helper" uh, in is in in the Hebrew is uh, is the word "helper." Okay, it just means that you help the other person. And what's ironic is is that it's used primarily after this of God Himself. God is our help. God is our helper. Um, and and and. And God is the one who, who comes alongside of us and helps us in that sense. But the word fit for him here is probably the key idea. It is the idea that, that, it, that we meet the opposite of, that, that we come alongside to, 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 to meet and to complete the picture, so to speak. So there's two ideas that come out of this as we reflect God's glory together. of friendship. If you think that marriage is primarily about romantic love, that, oh, we're just going to have a lot of romance and and joy and and all that, you you miss out that over the long haul of life together, romantic love, love will ebb and flow. But having a good friend is really important. Young people, if you're going out there saying, well, who looks good? Who can I... Who who am I attracted to? And you're not asking the question, well, who can I be friends with? You're asking the wrong question. C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves puts it this way, friendship arises when two or more discover that they have in common some insight or interest. As Emerson said, do you love me means do you see the same truth? Or at least do you care about the same truth? The man who agrees with us that, that, with us that some question, little regarded by others, is of great importance, can be our friend. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very, con- the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I don't care about the truth, I only want you to be my friend, no friendship can arise. Friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. I like that last phrase. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. You realize that God has existed from eternity past and will exist into eternity future. And not just as a single person, but in companionship together. And I realize you don't have to, to be married to be friends, exactly. But marriage is one way that you reflect that friendship, that companionship over the long haul of a life. To, to share the same things, to be going the same direction, to, to, to have to want to build on the same truth. This is part and frankly, an essential part of marriage. God is saying it is not good to be alone. Now, it's not good to be alone, not just to be alone, but remember, in a sense, God has given Adam two main commands to do up to this point, to be fruitful and multiply, and to build a garden out of the earth. Make a garden. He says, here's, he gives the Garden of Eden, he says, turn this garden into the whole world. And he's saying, to do that, it's not good to be alone. And he gives the man a woman. Why? Because frankly, a man can't have kids on his own, but also because to build a garden takes more, takes more, it, it takes more than one person. You have to delight in something in common together. You're, you're building something together, and I realize maybe he's like, well, I don't own any land, I can't make a garden. Or you might be like, well, what kind of garden are you talking about? I hate vegetable gardens, okay? Well, if you don't like a vegetable garden, think of a flower garden, okay? There's plenty of gardens in the world. The point is not the type of garden, the, t- the, the point is, is that you're cultivating and nourishing something together. You're building something together, something that can last beyond yourselves, that will bless the rest of the world around you. One of the ways that you do that potentially is having children. You don't have to have children, but it's one of the ways that you bless the world around you, and it's one of the ways that you encourage and pass something on to the next generation. And Paul, God is saying, hey, these are things, Adam, that you can't do alone. You need someone to come alongside of you and be, in that sense, suitable to you, corresponding to you, actually in a lot of places, it's translated in other contexts, the opposite to you. So not, not coming alongside of and being next to you, I'm the same as, but corresponding. I'm the opposite to you. I'm going to provide things that, that maybe you don't have, if you will. And that's important. That, that reflecting God's glory together is to realize that we on our own can never reflect the glory of God we need someone else. We need those differences and those similarities to come together in a beautiful fusion, if you will, of a way of, of being and operating together that lasts, that learns the joy of the differences between the two of you and looks to, to build those differences into things of beauty rather than to destroy everything that is different and keeping everything the same. But this Creative, creative act, if you will, is a challenge because it immediately means that you're vulnerable. If you can't do something on your own, you're immediately vulnerable to how it will go. And this invites shame. Marriage is a tricky subject because if you've been married probably for any length of time, you realize, I failed already. <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> yeah. Or they failed, and why did I marry them? What was wrong with me? And, and in that process, shame can creep in and take root and feel like, well, how is this good? How can anything that is good be built out of this? and God is in the business of destroying shame. God is in the business of building beautiful and good things. And yet he understands that it takes an understanding of what he's doing and of who we are and he invites us into the process. Because that's really what it is is a process. A process where we live together in joy. A process where we reflect that that glory of being together. Right? They say after COVID that everyone's feeling more lonely. That's true. But you know what? God didn't make us to be alone. And I'm not saying everyone has to be married. I'm just saying... There's a joy of companionship, a joy of friendship, that, that you can build and develop and enjoy, that you should do that. And one of the ways you should do that is, w- if you're married is with your spouse, you should view that friendship that you're building as something that is valuable and precious and not just a side benefit. It is one of the main things you are doing in life, is being friends one another together walking through life together now in that process of walking together then there there are certain if you will rules that have to be there and so point number two is reflecting God's rule together and that takes us back to Ephesians chapter 5 it says Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. He's in to have as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so the wives should also submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." There is a goal here beyond just friendship, in a sense, of, of seeing the beauty and the, and the wonder of the other person and, and really holding up the other, other person in their, in their glory. But to do that, to understand that process of becoming, you have to love the other person that is different from you. Self-righteousness, on the other hand, tends to say those who are different are inferior. Go back to Genesis chapter three for a second, right? What happens? God has brought the two of them together. The snake texts to Eve, she eats the fruit, Adam eats the fruit, and all of a sudden God shows up in the midst of that, and they're like, Well, he did this, and the snake did this. And instead of being together, they're attacking one another. They're blaming one another. They're, They're seeking to their own self righteousness. I'm not at fault they are. And when we're self-righteous, we tend to say that those who are different are inferior. When we run into the differences between the two of us, well, once you're married, you realize that you're, you want to say, well, you're just not as good as me. <laughs> but God is creating something that is not two people shooting at each other saying, I'm superior. God is creating oneness out of twoness. And to do that requires this, this sense of understanding the, the, the idea of headship and submission. And that's why Paul is, is talking primarily about submission here. It's like he's saying, you, to submit to one another, reverence for Christ, you've got to be able to understand how this works together. You can't, you can't fight this. You have to submit to one to submit to your role, to submit to what is going on in this. So what is headship? Headship, in some ways, is, is they, as we get to understand the brain and how it works. We, we get to understand that the, the brain, in some ways, is not just the control center. Like, it sits up there atop your, your brain and it just reminds you of all the things you have to do and it controls every movement of your hands and, uh, and it controls every movement of your heart and it just, it's a control center. That's all it is. That is not really what the the head does. Now, you can, you can get that because how many times you've been talking and your hands are moving, <laughs> and you're like, well, I didn't even know my hands were moving as I talked, right? Right, because your head is doing more things than just control. It's, it's a more about presence, the more we understand the nervous system, the more we understand that there's nerves throughout our bodies that are, that are in a sense, allowing the head to be present with every single part of our body. That it's, it's present. It's there. It's involved. It's not out there somewhere else, just controlling everything and reporting it occasionally, but it's present continually with the body. An illustration that I'll blame Pastor Jeff For because he's involved once again in this, so if you have a problem, go talk to him. I just threw him under the bus. But he reminded me of of the studies that have been done on breastfeeding and how what they've found over time is that the, the body actually can the nervous system can can sense what's going on in the saliva of the baby's mouth as it feeds, and it, and it, and it d- detects the, the nutrients and what's going on there, and it sends messages to the brain like, okay, here's what's going on, and the brain then sends messages back and says, okay, change the formula of the milk, because the baby needs this. The, the, th- that's what the brain does, is it's present enough to know what the needs are, and then shift and, and, and move in order to provide. The head, in that sense, is, is, is very aware of what it takes to provide and protect for the body. I was thinking about this and I was driving on my way home from work this week and I was realizing my my stomach is telling my brain, I'm hungry. And the brain is like, okay, I get it. And then the stomach would say again, I'm hungry. And the brain would be like, Okay, I get it. And then it'd be louder, I'm hungry. You know, like, okay, I get it. Give me a, give me a minute here. I'm driving. It's not like I can take care of the problem. Why? Why? Because so the brain is there. It's, it's listening to the body. It's responding to the body's needs. And it's, it's being present. Even it's also saying, okay, I'm going to provide, but maybe not right now or maybe not in the way you expect you know, you're not always going to get pizza for lunch or for supper, right? You got to get different things because you need different things, and and part of that that headship function is is determining what is what is best in the situation. You now, one of the biggest things, wives, as you think about the, the, this dynamic within the body, is to realize that once you're married, you are in a sense you are not on your own. You, you're not a totally independent person and you, you, you need to, in that sense, to attach to your husband and to, to report to him the needs that you have. And one of the temptations have, wives have, right, initially is they're like, well, if he, if he loved me, he would know my needs. If, I don't need to tell him if he knew, if I, and, and the point partially here is, no, the body, in, in the way the body works, the body reports what it needs, your husband is not a mind reader. He, doesn't, he can't in, it just interpret everything just by a glance or a, a suggestion. He needs you to tell him what he needs and, and to, to you to submit to that process of being like, hey, this is what's going on and this is, this is what I, I need right now. For guys, maybe a better way of understanding it is related to the clutch. Now, the clutch is a, a, a not often used instrument these days. In fact... Uh, In my own personal story, um, we had just gotten married, and uh, this was back when the internet was just new, okay, this dates me. So you had just enough internet that you could, like, make reservations online, but not really understand the the reservations you were making, okay? (laughs) So we were going to Colorado for our honeymoon, and uh, we, we flew into Denver International Airport early on a Sunday morning, and got there. And uh, I realized that the rental car agency that I had reserved a rental car from was not actually in the airport. It was not actually convenient. You had to take a bus into Denver and get the rental car. So, okay, well, that's not too hard. You know, you find the the, the shuttle, you take it in, and you know, you get it. So we we get there, and uh, we we sign the reservation papers, and we go out to the car. You know, of course, uh, being young, I, I had chosen the cheapest car that I could rent possible, right? We get out there, and I realize that it's, it's, it's small, yes, but it's also a manual transmission. I, I had driven manual transmissions a few times, but I had never driven a manual transmission in Denver, Colorado. And I'm like, Ugh, and I'm thinking to myself, what do I do? Do I go back into the reg- rental agency? Do I, do I, uh, do I ask for another car and look inferior to my wife? Do we just say, hey, let's take the shuttle back to the airport and get a different, with a different company? I was starting to panic a little bit, and and she was like, no problem, my dad taught me how to drive a stick, I'll drive. <laughs> e- emasculate your husband right there, you know. <laughs> but But the reason why I bring up the clutch is because When you're driving in a manual transmission, if you hit the brake and the clutch is still engaged, you immediately kill the car. You you want the car to move forward, and yet you would just want to slow it down a little. You can't do that if you don't engage the clutch. You have to engage the clutch, and then you can hit the brake and slow the car down. Then you can re-engage the clutch and do whatever else you want, but if you don't engage the clutch, headship is presence in the sense that you need to be present with your wife you need to engage the clutch before you make moves if you're constantly just like well i'm gonna go here i'm gonna go there i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that and you don't be present with your wife and know the needs that she has and, and, and before you make the move then you're going to be in trouble and everything's your transmission's going to fall off your car so be present The whole idea of headship is first and foremost about presence, knowing the needs that are there, and then seeking what to do. Is this not like God himself, right? He says to us over and over again, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's always present. In fact, what does Jesus do is is even before he leaves, what does he say? "I'm, I'm sending another helper who will be present with you the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is with us, constantly helping us. This is why, in some ways, we we reflect God's rule together as we understand this process. If we understand we need to be present with one another and submit to that presence and, and work with one another, that's why he goes on to tell husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Headship is, is giving up your needs to meet the needs of your wife. It's understanding that, that this, is, this is part of what it means to, 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 to listen, to, to, to protect, and to provide, to, be, to having that responsibility is to say, look at what, how Christ did this. Look at how Christ loved the church. And they say the five most essential words for a healthy, vital relationship are, I apologize, and you are right. Um, so, this weekend, my wife and I were helping my daughter. My daughter's moving into her own apartment, and she's got certain stuff, but she didn't have a desk yet. And so, one evening, uh, my wife's like, well, we're going to go up to Story City and see about this desk. Do you want to come along? I was like, sure, I'll be present, right? Be present, so I'll be present. So, I go along, I drive, we get up there. They look at the desk, takes them 30 seconds, then they walk back out again. I'm like, what's up? And they're like, the desk was too small. It was, the pictures were off. It wasn't just like was what we were looking for. So immediately, I'm like, okay, well, if they can't find the desk that way, then I'm like, well, have you thought about a standing desk? You know, the one that can, you can stand up and sit down. We can probably get a small one for that. I, I know she doesn't have a lot of room. So I started trying to fix the problem imme- immediately. And, and, of course, my wife is like, you don't understand. Kaisa doesn't want any sterile desk she, she has a specific desk in mind she wants something that's older that's refined that looks nice does isn't just isn't just a sterile business desk you know, she's going off and she's telling me all the things about my daughter that I knew but I hadn't applied in this particular situation so I had to listen to my wife so the next day we were out and we're running errands and she's like let's go to home goods maybe we can find a desk there so we go there and I'm like you try Staples? She's like, why do you always suggest ways? Why, why, why do you do this to me? I'm like, but I'm just trying to help. You know, I'm, I'm trying to provide in the situation. You know, Staples does have potentially good desks over there. We looked at home goods. We didn't find anything. I'm like, let's go to Staples. She's like, okay, we'll go to Staples. I was like, it'd be really ironic <laughs> if we found a desk at Staples. And she's like, yes, it would be then you would be right in your rightness. I'll write one. I'd be like, exactly, exactly. So we went to desks, staples, and we didn't find a desk there, but we did find a chair there. So <laughs> I won, I think. But... In the process of providing, it's that give and take process. And and this kind of goes to the, the third point that we're looking at in marriage, is that not only we reflect God's rule together and how he provides and protects, but it's also that sense of reflecting God's sanctification together. Reflecting God's sanctification together. Notice again what it says to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Literally here, he's saying, notice, notice the, the logic here. He's saying, husbands, love your wives and give Give yourself up for her in order that you might sanctify her, that you might set her apart. So in a sense, what he's saying is the, the act of you giving yourself up for her is also the act of you setting her apart, of, of saying that you, you're special, that you're good, that I'm, I've got some goal here in mind beyond just solving the problem or doing that, and you're setting her apart to yourself to say, this is, this is a special relationship, this is a unique relationship, and I want to give myself up for, for you. But, but notice that sanctification has a goal as well, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Christ gave up himself, and at the same time, he sanctified us in the process, so that ultimately one day, we will be together rejoicing in beauty and joy and holiness You see, Christ also knows this, that it's not just between us and him, it's between us and him and God the Father. This is always a three-way relationship. And that we are most satisfied in Christ when we are most satisfied in God. And we are most satisfied in God when we are most satisfied in Christ. This is about satisfaction and joy. And sanctification is, is primarily about helping us to grow in our satisfaction and joy in God. There was a a husband and wife told this story about a photography team they knew that was also a husband and wife so they said a husband and wife photography team we know shoot their pictures together do their developing and printing together in fact they're together 24 hours of the day if you've been married you know that could be a problem we wondered how they managed to keep such good working relations. The wife responded, well, frankly, it wouldn't work out if one of us didn't have a good disposition. Which one has a good disposition, we asked. Oh, she laughed, we take turns, right? It's, it's, it's realizing that there's this, this give and take process that, that we're both growing in our satisfaction and joy in God, and husbands primarily, but wives too, as you work through this process, what you're doing is you're saying, look, you're different from me, but I want you to see how God has brought us together, and and we get to enjoy God better together. We get to enjoy the differences that we are. There are two books that I I really recommend if you want to study marriage. One is Love and Respect by Emerson Egricks. The other one is The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller and his wife. In, in that book, The Meaning of Marriage, Tim, and, Tim tells a story about Rob and Jessica. Rob was a guy who, when he was in, in, uh, in elementary, some of his teachers reported that he was, he, he, he was on the sociopathic scale, that is, he was very insensitive to some of the other kids around him. Uh, they just reported that in, and of course, he, obviously, he wasn't a full sociopath, so he did graduate, and 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 so Rob and Jessica met, and they were, uh, they they really clicked. It, Clicked and hit it off immediately. By the second date, they were just marveling in the, in the joys of one another. Like she was just noticing that he was a great conversationalist and he, he could just really, they could really go back and forth and he was noticing that she wasn't a wallflower, that he, you know, she, he could, she could push back, she had her opinion. Well, then they get married. And Jessica quickly realizes that that, that brilliant conversationalist that could be a little edgy and a little kind of rude sometimes that that was a real problem at times you know like he could really say some mean and hurtful things and not even care and and over time it got to the point where she's starting to like wish man i wish i could find somebody to hang out who's different than rob why do i have to be with rob and when Rob found out about this, he was frightened, right? He was like, wow. Well, why does she, well, what's going on? And so they, they went to a counselor and they, they talked through it. And, um, but it's not so much the counselor, but it was a realization of, of two things. Rob needed to realize that God had given him a gift of a wife who wasn't going to be a wallflower. Who, When she notices something wrong, and especially noticed when he was insensitive, she would tell him, and that wasn't a problem, that was a gift, to help him to be more sensitive, to be more empathetic, to to understand some of the things of life that he missed out on at times. And she realized, too, that that having Rob was a gift, too, because she had the, the tendency of when things got difficult in relationships to just flee, to run away, to wish she could get out of the difficult situations. And being with Rob was a gift because it allowed her to see the joy of building something together even when it was hard. Marriage is about building a garden together. No matter what kind of garden you build, you have difficulties in that garden. Things that take work. But the garden in itself is simply a means to an end. To, to enjoy the differences between the two, you, do you understand that you have, even in the Trinity, you have God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and they are all co-equal and co-perfect, but they're, they're still unique individuals, and appreciating the, the uniqueness of each individual is a part of the joy of being together. It's part of that sanctification process, is to say, look, out of all the world, I married you, I'm with you, I'm hanging out with you. We're building something together, and that is where joy comes from. It's not the joy, a romantic joy of, oh, isn't it? Aren't we cute together? Or don't we look good together? Or can't we make a lot of money together? Or, or man, we just we just really uh, click together. It's about building something. Where you truly understand the differences between the two of you and you enjoy them and build on them and use them to make something beautiful. But isn't that what grace is as well? Grace is giving what the other person needs, especially when it's different from your own needs. And that's why in our world, marriage is so important to understand what Christian marriage is. Because this isn't something you just give away to anyone. This is something where you come together and make a commitment together to love one another, to cherish one another, to to give of your life to the other person, mutually promising to do this together, to show grace, even as God has shown you grace. So my encouragement to you this morning is will you live the story? Christ has redeemed us. He has set us apart to Himself to to bring the differences of who we are and who He is together in a beautiful, eternal growing of a garden together. And will you, if you're married, Will you live that story? Will you understand the differences? And yes, it takes forgiveness and it takes mercy, it takes confession and repentance, that willingness to say, you're right, I'm wrong, let's work on this together. Why? Because as you live the story, you pursue the joy. The story is not about the story, the story is about the joy that is coming. The joy that's not yet here, but we believe by faith that it's coming. And will you find the rest? You know, when we were when I was first married, I would have nightmares occasionally. I thought they were nightmares. You might wonder. You know, I I hadn't dated too many girls, but I'd liked several girls over the years. And and you're for whatever reason when you're you know. Your sleep, your brain goes goes all these different directions, and and so th- frequently I'd have this dream where I'd, I'd be like going through the different girls I liked and be like, oh man, I should get together with her? Maybe she get together with her? You know, like oh, it's gonna work out? I don't know. You know, it's, uh, my brain's like, uh, it's, a, it's a dream. Got to understand, it's a dream. And then I wake up and I realize I'd married Amy, and I was like, ooh. <laughs> that was a good move. <laughs> um. And it, in the, there's a certain rest that comes from knowing this is who I've committed to. And no, they're not perfect, but I'm not perfect. And we're in this together. We're building something out of God's grace. We're sharing God's love. And we're, we're friends together, building something that we can bless the world with. To God's glory. To show off the goodness of God. You realize that all these things, reflecting God's glory, reflecting God's rule, reflecting God's sanctification, they're all ways of showing the greatness of our God. We have God who loves us, who who wants, who wants to be creative with us. He wants to show off the love in particular ways as he cares and provides for us. And he wants to do that as he sets us apart, as we say, as he says, you are the ones that I want to spend eternity with. And we get to show over 50, 60, 70 years, hopefully, that little picture in little ways of the greatness of the God who is and who loves us enough to redeem us. So will you do that? Will you live the story? Will you pursue the joy? will you find the rest to God's glory. And if you're single, find friends. You don't have to get married to enjoy this, but find friends who you can pursue joy with and find rest in Christ alone with. Because it's about Him and not about marriage ultimately. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. And you give us good things. And good things are not always easy. In fact, good things can be quite hard at times. And it's hard sometimes to to look the potential of shame in the face and still say, I'm going to love and I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to submit to what God wants me to do here because I want to see the joy that only God can provide. Lord, help us to live that out. Lord, thank you for telling us your story, for telling us how you've redeemed us from sin and death through Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have the hope of heaven. Help us to live that story, especially with our marriages, and not be tied to shame and disgrace, but live in joy in your son's name.